0: Good morning everybody. Good to see so many faces and we're starting a new message series today and the title of the series is The Bible Unabridged and every every week here um, we we actually look into the Bible. We look and see what does it say about God. We ask questions like what does it say about God. We did a series on that recently. We we look to see what does it say about people. Uh, sometimes we're looking at the life of Jesus and, and his ministry and, and what that means to us, what his life, his death, his his resurrection means to us. And so we look at these different things, but then we just don't look at what it says and try to understand it. But then we we ask the, the next question, which is, why does it all matter? How do we work all of his ways or his ways into our life? Because really, that is the crucial issue is how do you apply the Bible? How do you get it not just in your head, but but. That is driven down into our hearts, begins to guide us in our choices, in our decisions, in our priorities. And so in this series, what we're going to be doing is talking about the Bible itself. We're going to be looking at this, the Bible. It's a collection of books. We're going to talk about what's in it, where do we get it, how do we get it. Um, so it's going to be spending four weeks on this uh, series. In my life, uh, I've spent many, many hours over the past 18 years reading the Bible for myself, and then trying to understand how to communicate that to other people. My freshman year in college is when I seriously began to pursue a relationship with the Lord and began to read the Bible um, through and just starting to learn how to read through the Bible and understand what it says. And as I read it, even still, as I soak it in, try to understand it, I found that the Bible is alive in a very real way. Often what times... Often what happens is I'll open it up, I'll begin reading where I left off, and the words in the Bible just jump right off the pages and just either comfort or a challenge, sometimes smack me. I mean, there's just... And you've probably experienced this as well, where the Bible speaks exactly what we need to hear, right? We need to hear it. And whenever that happens, that gets your day started off right. If you've made a regular commitment to read the Bible and apply it to your life, it just... When it speaks directly to you, it gets your, it gets your days going in the right direction. Uh, I've been reading in the book of Psalms, and in the Psalms, there's the 36th chapter. Early this week, I read this verse, and I just it's stuck in my, my mind. It, Psalm 36 compares the ways of the wicked and the ways of the righteous. And one thing about the wicked is that it says about the wicked that he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. And he does not reject evil. And as I'm reflecting on this, I'm thinking about how often when we're sitting in our bed or when we're laying down in our bed, how important it is to scan through what are what am I thinking about? What am I plotting? Like, what am I planning? What is what's going on up here? And how this reminds me that man, I, I need to if I don't want to live a wicked life, I need to scan. What am I mulling? On? What is it that I'm I'm mulling on and letting stay there in my head? Oftentimes, there's an opportunity to just reject things like what he's talking about. The wicked doesn't do that. Well, as I read through that, I thought, you know, what a great reminder. Not only when I go to bed to think about, am I, am I clear up in relationships with my with my family and friends, but what's going on in here? Am I plotting the wrong things up in here? When God speaks to us in that way and just he, he, he challenges us, it's just like his words jump right off the page. And so we're calling this series... The Bible, unabridged. And the word unabridged, it's an adjective. It means this. It means it's not shortened by leaving out some parts. It's not abridged. And I loved getting the cliff notes, especially in high school. I loved getting a hold of the cliff notes. I don't know if you ever did that for yourself. But you can get you know someone else's take and summary on the book. And I loved doing that because I wasn't interested in reading the books. I just wanted to get the credit for reading the books. And so, uh, But there's this real challenge in life when we try to edit the Bible and don't read it for ourselves when we just edit it. If we do that, it begins to lose its effectiveness when we cut out crucial portions of the Bible. Now, we all have an opportunity on our own time, not, you know, not we're here to be reading it and really, you know, handling books and chapters at a time. But on our own time, we can really do that. We can really dig in and get get out. You know, learn what God is saying to us. There's this self-feeding that goes on it's really a responsibility of, of each person who's decided to follow Christ that, that they want God to guide their lives. Well, we get into it for ourselves and that's a real challenge. But if we don't do that, we end up just cutting out the portions that we really like. We just take the snippets that we like. Oh, that really spoke to me. He said something up there and we're cutting out the portions but we don't understand it in the whole. I want to encourage you to Learn to read it for yourself. Get into it for yourself. I've got a brief video clip here from The Who Stole Christmas. It's a brief clip about um, how the mayor of this little imaginary town called Whoville, they have this book that's the authority in their town. It's called The Book of Who. Maybe The Great Book of Who. But it's kind of like their version of the Bible. You know what I mean? And the mayor of this town, he begins to twist The Great Book of Who in order to get it to say what He wants it to say. And this is really similar to what happens with us in relation to the Bible. So let's take a look at this clip.
1: And now, denomination. For that who among us who best typifies the qualities of hoodam and hoodery, the Whoville
0: holiday, cheer my yeah.
1: Do I hear a nomination?
0: I nominate the Grinch. Huh? Grinch. Grinch.
1: Grinch. <laughs> My, 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 what an altruistic daughter you have there, Lou.
0: Thank you. Cindy?
1: Let me uh,
0: quote a verse
1: from the book of who? Thank you. Ah, the term Grinchy shall apply when Christmas spirit is in short... Supply Now, I ask you, does that sound like our holiday cheer, <laughs>
0: True, Mr. Mayhew, but the book of who says this, too. No matter how different a who may appear, you will always be welcome with holiday cheer.
1: Well, yes, but the, the uh, book also says the, uh, the award cannot go to the Grinch because sometimes uh, things get the lead pipe cinch.
0: You made that up! It doesn't say that.
1: Oh, no, 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 it does. No, right.
0: What? page?
1: Ah, <sighs> uh, I've oh, lost my, uh, my, my place, but it's <clears throat> it's, it's in here.
0: But the book does say the cheermeister is the one who deserves a back slap or a toast. Mm. And it goes to the soul at Christmas who needs it most. And I believe that soul is the bridge. And if you're the who's I hope you are... You will too. So the, the mayor there—he's—he's he's manipulating the great book, their their great book, for his own gain. He's—he's he's, well, he's making it up too as he's going. And so, and she she knew the book of who she knew what was in it. She knew some of the. Well, it says this, yes, that's true, but it also says this, and it says this, and, and now we're not promoting the book of Who, and I don't believe you should build your life on the great book of Who. I Actually, you should not. I do believe you should not build. But the goal of this series is to increase your appreciation for the Bible, to give you some helpful handles on how do, how do I understand the Bible, how do I get into the whole thing for for myself, how do I apply it to my own life, um, because with the Bible we can do we can do this. We can cut it out, just portions that we like. We can read into it, and we can emphasize what we want it to say. We can minimize the things that we don't like and just kind of tune out, kind of lower our listening. And, and So we're, we're going to look at a variety of these different issues. Specifically this week, we're going to look at how the Bible is, it's how God has revealed himself. And nobody would know the truth about God if he didn't do this. This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. This is how God has made himself known. Next week, we're looking at how it, our gain is to get clarity on what the Bible actually says so we can grasp its meaning for life. We're going to look at the different types of literature that you find in the Bible. And understanding that it's not all the same type of literature, it gives you a framework for how to interpret what it means and how to apply it. Uh, third week, we're going to be looking at how the Bible is is from is written from the expert. That the source is God himself. This means that we need to measure every idea about our lives through the words of the Bible because he, he's the expert. He knows. And then last we're going to be looking at how it's really a guide to everyday instruction. Very, very practical, you know, wisdom comes out from the Bible. Um, you might be here today and you're totally, you could be at a place where you're not convinced that the Bible is an authority. Maybe you're not convinced that it carries the authority of God himself and that it contains God's word for his people. Uh, still, I'm glad you're here. I would encourage you to begin to look into this matter for yourself. Just Wrestle with it for yourself and then draw your own conclusion about it. It's very, very important um, to draw your own conclusion about this issue. Um, don't just take my word for it. Begin to dig into it. Read through it. Wrestle with it. Even apply and draw a conclusion, though. don't. Sometimes we just stay in, in, in indecision on this issue uh, for years. So first, why do we have the Bible? This is at the top of your listening guide. We have the Bible because God gave it to us so that we could know it. He gave it to us so that we could know him. He wants to be known. Okay? He's revealed himself. He's He's revealed Himself to us. Look at Exodus thirty two, verse fifteen. This is where the Ten Commandments are given. It says that Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with these two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. We read in the book of Exodus that the Ten Commandments it's given to Moses, and here in Exodus 32, we have a description of how they were put together. Notice the emphasis in verse 16. It says that the tablets were the work of God, the, writings, the writing was the writing of God. Now, this may seem strange considering that Moses is actually the one who's chiseling these thoughts onto the tablets, but the word work here in verse 16, where it says the tablets were the work of God. That word work can be translated achievement or accomplishment. What this indicates is that while Moses was the one who was you know, chiseling or riding this out on the tablet, these were not his own words. Instead, God was accomplishing the work that he had given his words to do. He, he, he was the one accomplishing this. Moses was the instrument. He was the tool that God was using to communicate what God wanted us to know, how to how to live a life, what should, what what instructions should be passed on to his people. Um, now, why is this important? Because from God's self-disclosure, we learn a few things. Okay? He has revealed himself to us in the Bible. And from that, we learn first his love for us. There's this grand theme that flows throughout the Bible of God's great love and his redemption of all people. Not just from here, but all over. God's, this theme of God's love and redemption flows through the pages of Scripture. And He's revealed His ways to us th- so that we would join in His plan. So we'd be motivated to join in His plan. God cares enough to reveal Himself to us. The Bible can be seen in a variety of ways. It can be seen as this ancient book long ago, and sometimes it's referred to as oh, this old book, how could I build my life on it? It can also be referred to that we think of it in terms of that book that the Gideons leave behind everywhere. Somehow they manage to secretly, or maybe it's not secretly, you know, but they, they sprinkle this thing throughout hotel rooms across you know, our country, maybe around the world. I don't know how far their ministry goes. But, but if what we read in Exodus 32 is right and true, we actually have God's thoughts on life. This is God's Word. This is His thoughts on life and His view on things. This is what He thinks. What seems hard for us to understand is why would God... Want to reveal Himself and His thoughts and His priorities to us? Why would God want to do that? Could it be that this stems from His love? He's done this because He truly loves us. This is what it tells us. He wants to be known. He wants us to know how to please Him. He wants us to know how to live a life that really counts. That is blessed. That is good. It's not that it's trouble-free, but that He's working in to experience good. All this does not come from a God who is indifferent. You know, Sometimes we think, oh, this... this too hard to understand. You know, God's revealed it to us in a form that's far too complex. You know, God doesn't really care about me, but that that, as you get into it for yourself, you begin to understand, well, I actually can't understand this. This is not coming to us from a God who is indifferent, who doesn't care about us. Instead, he's given us the Bible so that it would show us the path to live a life that really pleases him. Now, how cruel would it be if you had a puzzle in this Ziploc bag or maybe even a garbage bag of, of puzzle pieces but you had no picture, you know, to to see what this puzzle was gonna build. How cruel would that be? Give that to a kid. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I got a plan for today, you know. But, but how cruel would that be to give someone a puzzle with no picture of what, what this thing is gonna look like? How on earth could you put it together? I I'd get so frustrated. I I'd get frustrated at puzzles, period. But then if I were to have no picture to know what I'm building, it would even more you know, I, what's the point for me? I would t- I'd take the puzzle back. I'd never buy a puzzle from that puzzle maker again because what's the point? God, God's not like that. He's not indifferent towards us. He doesn't just give us a pile of pieces and you say, here, you, you figure it out on your own. He's given us something so that we could create a life out of it. It's out of His love. This flows from His great love for us. He's revealed Himself. Now the Bible paints, it paints a picture of all the different Facets of life. And God's self disclosure is, you know, we learn about His love. Second, we learn that He can be trusted from this. If the Bible is God's words, then we should be able to put our trust and actually, that we would put our trust in it, that it would support our life. God is not, He's not tied to any earthly, you know, agenda or any political party. God is not a Republican, a Democrat. He's, he's not tied to any of those things. So He's not trying to sell us on any earthly agenda or anything for his own benefit. In fact, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need any help of ours. But he's revealed himself to us out of his great love because he wants us to establish a relationship of trust with him. But he doesn't need us to accomplish what he wants. So he's not using this to manipulate us in order to get something out of us for his own gain. This, this is drawn from a pure motive of a God who wants what is best. It's built on His infinite wisdom and plan. And now the Bible itself, it's, made, it's, a, it's a collection of books. It's made up of 66 books. It's divided up into two divisions. It's the Old Testament and a New Testament. And the break is really Jesus comes on the scene. There's this period of silence where there was no word of prophecy and no word of God for His people for a few hundred years, almost 500 years. And then Jesus comes on the scene and so the division of, of Old and New Testament is, is before Jesus' coming, and God's working through His people and through prophets and through history, and then Jesus' coming upon, <clears throat> upon this earth. And it, it, was written over, um, or it was written by over 40 authors. Okay? So 40 authors were involved writing the Bible. It was written over a span of 1,500 years on three different continents. And just those facts about the Bible alone, like 40-plus authors... 1,500 years, three different continents, 66 books. Just that is enough to be like, yeah, I don't know if I can trust this. How would all of those people be able to, to to say something that is unified in theme? But when you read through it, that's the amazing part about it. You realize, wow, these people lived hundreds of years apart from each other. All in these different places and yet God preserved and protected this collection of books. It's we, we ha- What we have is... It's um, it's not just this ancient book that isn't relevant, but you read through it and you recognize, wow, it speaks to my life here and now. And so many of us, we wonder if the Bible can be trusted, or at least, how do I know that this is the work of God? You have all these different people who are involved in the writing. If you look at the book of Second Peter, in Second Peter, verse 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter, he's he wants to wrestle with this tension. He actually draws this tension up and he, he begins to address Why the Bible can be trusted. He spent some time talking about how this is not just, uh, you know, we're not just following cleverly devised myths and schemes. He said, this is, this is, God is the source of this. Look at Peter's assertion in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Again, key verse, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what we find is the Bible is not just man's own interpretation. It didn't come from, from just a man, and it's not just merely their words about what they think God would have said or what they think God would want us to think. No, this is the authors of the Bible did not write with their own wills and agendas in mind. This is this is more than that. Again, God is the source of the scriptures. Check out the second part of verse 21. It says, "But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." The picture of being carried along means the writers were guided and led by God himself, specifically by the Holy Spirit. The writers were still themselves, okay? They were still themselves as opposed to being robots. But the word picture here is being they were being moved like a ship is moved in the wind that's the word picture is that these men were inspired they were moved they were carried along by the holy spirit just as a ship is is blown and moved by the wind this is what it means when we use the term inspired that that these words were inspired by god that he's the source the claim of the bible is that the writers and the writings were inspired inspired they were guided by god himself and it wasn't that they just that God turned him into robot mode and they flipped a switch and they all of a sudden just became drones and then they did his work. And then, whoa, what was that? That was a weird dream. And you these 40 people that had this real random trance experience. No, because you read in and you see the personality of these authors. You read Paul's letters and you're like, wow, Paul, he, he wrote this and this. And very, very similar when you read Paul's letters. And then John, he wrote one of the Gospels and he wrote these letters. And you see, oh, that's John. His personality, his experiences, they're drawn out because it's it's even flowing through his lenses, his perspective, his experience. Well, but the inspiration, the inspiration is God. And now you might still be wondering, yeah, but how do we know that the Bible actually came from God? There's there's really three channels that we use to verify a truth claim in life. I want to introduce you to these three channels. The first is an intellectual channel. Whenever there's a truth claim, somebody claims, I know the truth. We run these these claims through these three channels or filters. And we and some mean more to us than others. The first one is intellectual. We want to know that there's good evidence and support of something. This is part of what <coughs> Peter is trying to explain to us. is that This isn't just cleverly devised myths. He, he, he was talking about stuff that they were building their lives upon. It made sense intellectually. But we still want to know, is the Bible sound? Is it logically consistent? Are there any contradictions in it? Is there things that contradict itself? You know, in the, from this book to this book. Um, now there are some challenging passages. There's some difficult passages, but we want to know. And then are, are are the views of the Bible? Are they superior to alternative views? Um, if we see a commercial on TV or an infomercial that makes a claim about a product that claims to be true, um, and it seems too good to be true, then we want to see the research behind it. We start looking at where's the research I want to know I want to know how the experts what the experts have to say about this for example you see something on TV that says they'll cure baldness you know all of a sudden I perk up and I'm like could it be true I want to know where the research is give me the data that proves that this stuff actually works how many people has this worked in I, I want to know intellectually before I send you my money, that this intellectually makes sense. Am I just going to put some sort of a cream that was created in the caves of Australia or that some guy just found and and discovered and bats are involved and and I'm going to trust that that's going to somehow help? Well, intellectually, it's, it's got to make sense. Any truth claim. We can do that with the Bible. It stands the test. For what makes an ancient document reliable in the realms of history, in the realms of science, in the realms of literature, it stands the test intellectually. Here's a brief—well, it's not brief. Here's a four-minute video clip about the Bible and this intellectual channel. This is from R.C. Sproul. He 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 answers some questions along these lines of the intellectual um, arguments of are there contradictions contradictions in the Bible? He talks and. It, You might want to jot down some of the things he says because there's some really helpful um, info that he gives as far as verifying the truth claim of the Bible. So let's take a look at this.
1: But I have other people saying to me, uh, I don't believe the Bible because it's filled with contradictions. And I like to tell the story of an occasion when I was in seminary where a very, very sharp student made that comment to me. He said, why do you still believe in the Scriptures when it's filled with contradictions? And I said, because I don't think it is filled with contradictions. And I said, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's look at these alleged contradictions together. I said, let me ask you to do this. Says, it's 1 o'clock this afternoon now. Why don't we meet back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock and you bring me a list of 50 contradictions that you find in the Scripture which should be a simple task for you to do in as much as this Bible's a big book and it's filled with them according to your assertion. So he agreed to the challenge. So the next afternoon at 1 o'clock he came and he was bleary-eyed, you know, on the sons. He's obviously been up most of the night. And he had his friends with him. And I said, what's the matter? He says, well, we spend most of the time in the library and here in this uh, critical environment. He says, but I didn't get 50. He said, but I got 30. And I said, okay. And I said, you got 30. So let's say, first of all, this task of finding contradictions was not quite as simple as you thought it would be when you declared yesterday that the Bible's filled of contradictions. I asked you for a mere 50 and you only be able to come up with 30. And so, yeah, he he liked that. So I said, okay, let's look at them, one by one. And we looked at them one by one. And this fellow had studied philosophy in college, and I'd been a philosophy major. We both had had courses in logic. We knew the difference between a paradox, a discrepancy, and an actual contradiction. And so (coughs) that saved us some time. We looked at the first one, and I showed him that the statement that that he produced there did not actually violate the law of non-contradiction. And I showed it, not to my satisfaction, but to his. And see so he finally granted, yes, that's not really... So now we're down to 29. It was like Agatha Christie's uh, Ten Little Indians. You know, now we're down. So I went through painstakingly every one of them, 30 of them. And to his satisfaction, he agreed that each one of them, under close scrutiny and analysis, did not, in fact, violate the law of non-contradiction. So by the time we were finished... This book that he said was filled with contradictions had yielded none according to his own analysis. Now, I have to say this. I said it to him. I thought there were texts he could have come up with that would have been more difficult to resolve than the ones he actually did. And, uh, and yet I said, Now do you see that your statement, uh, the Bible's filled with contradictions, is not a valid statement? And he said to me, But look what you've had to do. You've had to use the philosophy of the Second you had to bend over backwards. <laughs> he said, you had to go use Venn diagrams and all this stuff to escape the the obvious. Why don't you just admit the obvious that the Bible's filled with contradictions? <laughs> and I said, because it's not obvious to me. What's obvious to me is that 30 times zero is zero. But again, this is the task of apologists, that whenever somebody charges that the Bible is filled with contradictions, or even if they make the charge that there's one contradiction, we have to be prepared to answer the allegation of contradictions. But I would do the same thing with my 16-year-old. I would say to him, look, uh, I have a $10 bill in my wallet that says there are no contradictions in the Bible. Then I open up my wallet, and I open up my $10 bill, and I have written on the top of it, there are no contradictions in the Bible. (laughs) But he's already lost that kind of thing with me. (laughs) He knows not to trust me with those kinds of things. But seriously, I would say to him, uh, you go do your homework, come back with a list of contradictions, and we'll talk about it. And I suggest that you do the same thing. And if you can't answer them, there are books like, Lisa Archer has made a tremendous contribution to Christian scholarship at this point. The man who, has, who speaks like 12 or 15 languages, is a doctor from Harvard. He's a retired professor of Old Testament at Trinity in uh, Chicago, wrote a thick book called Bible Difficulties where he deals with the standard text that people bring to allege uh, contradictions and shows their resolutions. Magnificent piece of of assistance for Christians. And that's the other thing you need to know, is that if somebody asks you a question you can't answer, you want to be honest intellectually, but don't just panic right away and say to myself, well, wait a minute, maybe I'm not the first person that's ever had to face this issue before. Maybe there's a whole history of, uh, of, of apologetic defense about this question that I'm not aware of. Check it out before you just jump to the conclusion that the Bible's as vulnerable as it may seem at the first glance.
0: You can find all sorts of, of helpful resources on wrestling through the intellectual channels of verifying a truth claim. And so, Intellectually, if you're hung up on something, write write down. Think through what it is you're hung up on and have a dialogue. And if the person can't answer it, just like you said, or if you're in a position where you're like, I don't know what this is, someone's bringing this to me, don't freak out. Dig in, get some input. There's some real helpful resources. Um, He mentioned one on there as well. There's another one called um, Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig. And there's some older books by Josh McDowell. He really does great works on... uh, Evidence that demands a verdict Uh, more than a carpenter. He was a man that set out to disprove Christianity and he dug into the he dug into the issue and through trying to disprove it, he became a Christian through it. There's other people, Lee Strobel, similar story, a journalist set out to disprove Christianity. He dug into the research. He became a Christian through it now speaks on how to defend our faith. And so this might be the channel that's hanging you up about the Bible, or maybe this is the channel that really sealed the deal. For you, now my father came to Christ through an intellectual kind of approach. Uh, He just sorted through the issues. Someone walked him through it and it made it it made enough sense to where he decided to follow Christ and believe in the authority of the Bible and and began to move in that direction with his life. Well, is this an issue for you? Is this a hang up? The second channel is a pragmatic channel. The questions are, does it really work? Does it work in real life? Does it work in my life? Can it work today? When I go to work this week, will it work? Going back to my hair growth product, you know, if I see a friend who bought the product and suddenly has grown a full head of hair and it's thriving for them, and I want to find out, how did this happen? Tell me what you did. And if he tells me, I bought the product and and I rubbed it on my head, just as it said, and, and you know what? This guy's not a liar. All of a sudden, I've become maybe a believer. Now, I'm going to, you know, these are felt-need issues for me, you know. Maybe not for you. But when it comes to truth claim, pragmatically, when it comes to the Bible, you want to know, is anybody trying this stuff out? Is there anybody here that believes this stuff? And sometimes that's the thoughts that run through our minds. Is anyone actually believing this stuff? I know many of you do. Many of you are building a life on the Bible, that it really works, that it's true. You're, you're actually going to apply some of it to your life today and this week as you go to work and as you interact with people in relationships. Testimonies from people who've walked with God and have seen God come through have a way of infusing us with courage as we see others trying it out for themselves and then we try it out as well. A couple months ago, a friend of mine came up here. His name is Barry. He shared how he went through a period he lost his job and he was trusting God and he stayed. He remained faithful in serving in attending, and in being involved in groups, in giving off of side jobs that he was making. And he just, he, he said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk with you practically, even through the hard stuff. Well, as he shared that, people came and talked to me after the fact, even up until a few weeks ago, where someone said, hey, when he shared that, that really motivated me to put God to the test on some hard issues in my life. As I saw other people, as I saw him do that, that's the pragmatic channel. One of my highlights is to see people discover just how relevant the Scripture is and how it works in real life. Uh, that's, that's a real issue, though, oftentimes. Is it really going to work? The third channel is this. It's an emotional channel, as we wrap up. An emotional channel is where we may have all the intellectual answers that satisfy us. We may have a plan to put into practice in our daily life. But all of us know that if our feelings and if our emotions are not on board, then we're not going to believe or rely on anything. It's like if you've ever tried to do something scary like bungee jump or skydive and jump out of a plane, you may you may understand everything intellectually about what you need to do and you may be watching people who've done it, hear that they're hear their stories of the thrill and the rush and all that. But when you're standing on the edge of a you know 80 foot drop, emotionally if your heart's just pounding, you're not going to like that idea. So how do you feel? I would encourage you. How do you feel about the claim that the Bible is the word of God? Emotionally. This is his self-disclosure. If it's, if it's in your heart, if you're stuck trying to believe it, then Peter, if you back up a few verses, Peter actually says, hey, pay attention. He says he gives us an encouragement in, in this verse to pay attention. Be very careful to pay attention to the Bible. It's a lamp, he says shining in a dark place that's verse 19 you can back up and he talks about how this is not something was built on cleverly devised myths we can pay attention to it we can put it to practice he, but go through the channels in your own life process these issues but as you walk through these different channels and some mean more to others as you walk through these channels and run the bible through these these channels arrive at a conclusion arrive at a conclusion draw a real conclusion if you never do that, what you'll end up doing is you'll end up cutting out the portions of the Bible that you don't like. And you'll you'll tear out things in your heart. You'll just say, I don't believe that. and I'll crumple that up. That doesn't work with my life. The things that evoke negative emotions in us, we just crumple them up and we, we do away with them. And twice during his lifetime, Thomas Jefferson did this. He's our third U.S. president. He created his own abridged version of of the Bible, where he cut out the things that he didn't like. The first was in 1803. It was called the philosophy of Jesus, where he he took. Now, this has been lost to history, but in it, he cut out his favorite portions and teachings of Jesus. That was lost. But in 1819, he came up with this. This is the life and the morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is now referred to as the Jefferson Bible. Okay, This is the Jefferson Bible. But in this, what he did is he focused on the teaching of of Jesus, but he cut out every miracle. He cut out all the signs of Jesus' divinity. The fact that he was God. They cut out the things that were supernatural. He cut out the things that were miraculous and supernatural. And, you know, for us, we can do the very same thing. We can create our own version of our faith. We, we can kind of create our own Bible. But if you'll come to a conclusion on the, on the fact that the Bible is actually God's Word, you avoid keeping things out, and leaving things out that you don't like. And it motivates us to read the whole Bible for ourselves and apply it to our lives. I want to invite our worship team to come back up. And our ushers, you guys can prepare also for receiving our morning tithe and offering. When it comes to the Bible, we have a real privilege. We have an opportunity in this country to be able to dig into it for ourselves. And some of you are, you're the kind of person that likes to take a long time to read through something. And so you might read and study a verse a, a week or a verse a day and just dig into it or a, a small section. And, and others of you, you like to read for a distance. And so you'll read chapters at a time. Ten, twelve chapters a day. Or maybe it's just here here and there. I would encourage you, whatever you're doing now, grow in your, in your ingestion of this. It's so, so critical. You know, the Bible is it's all equally the Bible it's not all equally applicable though and so um, it's so important though since it's all equally the Bible it's so important for you to get into it for yourself spend some time on your own self feeding taking it in for yourself we can't do that for you here there's just not enough time and so since it's all equally inspired by God you know there's more there's some that is more equally applicable we really try to help people figure out what are the things that are tremendously valuable as far as application is concerned and try to help help us here understand that um, but don't 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 let this be the only time where you get this into your life if it is you'll end up cutting out portions that are really important and you you'll gravitate towards things that that you like kind of like the mayor of whoville he builds his own plan and we, we don't want to be people who do that that that's not going to hold up our lives. And so I would encourage you get into the Bible for yourself. If you need a Bible, let us know. We'd love, if you write on the connection card, I don't have a Bible for myself. We'd love to get you a Bible and uh, get that to you and try to help you learn how to get into it for yourself. Here, here's three next steps. First one is this. <coughs> to draw a conclusion. Draw a conclusion about the origin of the Bible. That this came from God. Trust the sword. Second, get into it for yourself. And third, keep coming around as we explore this message uh, series together let's go to the Lord in prayer father thank you for your great love for us thank you for the wisdom displayed in the Bible I sung about it this morning Lord this is your word it's a lamp it's a light it's rock solid lord and we, we we admit it's difficult Lord to be faithful to get into it, to wrestle with it. It's faithful, Lord, to have a regular habit of reading it, applying it, studying it, mulling on it. But God, until we do that, we, just, we gain very little traction in life. We spin our wheels, we get frustrated at people, we get frustrated at churches, we get frustrated at the way people are telling us to live our lives, but we fail to do it ourselves. We fail to draw our own conclusions. So, Lord, would you help us to be people of integrity who, who, who intelligently Approach this book and wrestle with it? or would you verify the truth as we run it through these different channels, Lord? Thank you for this time we've been able to share together. Thank you for your word, how you've inspired it, how you've preserved and protected it so that we can really get to know you, God. I praise you for that. In Jesus' name,